Welcome back to another edition of On the Record, the Daily Island Weekly News Podcast, where we break down the paper's top headlines from the week. I'm your host, Eleanor Hildebrandt, and I'm here with our co-producers, Meg Doster and Colin Yu. On this week's episode, we have four special guests. We will be chatting with Daily Island News reporters Sam Nup, Miranda Mangra-Dutcher, and Ryan Hansen. We will also check in with news reporter Arabia Parthi about her story on how Zoom bombing has impacted local government meetings and classes. Whether you're in the car, at home, or in the classroom, we'd like to welcome you to this Friday, February 4th edition of On the Record. In case you missed anything from last week, the Daily Iowans' top headlines can be found on our website. This week, the DI reported on the University of Iowa providing free at-home COVID-19 tests to students across campus for the first time since the beginning of the pandemic, evolving the university's approach to testing. The State Board of Regents has decided to make test-optional policies permanent for admission to Iowa's public universities. And some incoming students are saying the stress of application season is lessening slightly because of that decision. Writers and partners Donika Kelly and Melissa Febos are finalists for the 2021 National Book Critics Circle Awards. The two are University of Iowa professors of English and are nominated in the Poetry and Criticism categories. And the Johnson County Board of Supervisors lowered the proposed 18% salary increase for all elected officials in the county to 2.25% for supervisors and 4.42% for all other elected officials. The board will vote on the percentages and the rest of the fiscal year 2023 budget in March. You can read all these stories and more in the Daily Iowans print editions on Mondays and Wednesdays or online anytime at dailyiowan.com. News reporter Sam Nupp wrote a story this week on how students are reacting to COVID-19 policies on the University of Iowa's campus. Welcome, Sam. We're excited to have you on this edition of the podcast. How's everything been going? Going well. How are you? I'm good. And so how many students did you speak to for the story? Where on campus did you find your sources? What did that process look like for you? Yeah, so me and Larry, the photographer for the story, we basically went around and we went to Becker Communications Building, the Adler Journalism Building, the Library, the Engineering Building, Papa John. And then uh, we talked to 26 students. However, one of them didn't want to be named in the article. So then he was pulled. So then officially we talked to 25. And then, um, yeah, we just basically tracked people down, whoever seemed approachable and um, amicable. We just approached and then talked with them. Yeah, for sure. That seems like a lot of different voices and different opinions. So what kind of reaction? did you hear from the students that you spoke to? Were there any shared opinions and feelings or were they kind of diverse? Um, It depends on the subject. I mean, when it came to the topic of staying in person, most students agreed that they wanted to, although there were a lot that agreed they would be okay doing hybrid classes. And then some were saying, you know, it's probably safer if we go online, but for the sake of our learning, I do better in in in-person classes, so I'd rather do that. Yeah. And what were some things that students thought the UI was doing? Doing well throughout the pandemic and through this stage of Omicron and a potential surge within the state? Um, I know a lot of people agreed that uh, the hybrid classes were the way to go in fall semester of 2021. And they also appreciated the school's encouragement of masks. That was another aspect everyone seemed to agree on that they, or most people seemed to agree on that they liked masks being either encouraged or mandated. Um, so they, they liked that aspect as well. And then I think that a lot of people are enjoying being back in person, being 
being back in the classroom and then getting to be able to talk to their teachers in person and just give better attention with the in-person lectures, it seems. And on the flip side of that, what were some of the things that students wanted to see improved or changed throughout the university's protocols when it comes to this pandemic? There were several students that uh, preferred that classes would be put online, or I shouldn't say several. There were a couple who would prefer if classes were online. Um, And then I think there were a lot that said they would like masks to be mandated, at least for unvaccinated people to keep them safe. And then there were some students who said they would like vaccines to be required, not that the university is really able to do that at this point in time, but assuming that they were allowed to, a lot of students would like a vaccine requirement. And so, you know, the the opinions were scattered, but it seemed like most students agreed that the school could maybe err more on the side of caution. Yeah, well, it'll be interesting to follow along and see how students' opinions change throughout this semester and potentially future semesters living in the COVID-19 pandemic. But thank you so much for being on the podcast today, Sam, and sharing your story with us. Thank you. Next, we have news reporter Miranda Mangra-Dutcher, who wrote a story this week about Dance Marathon's big event coming up this weekend. Welcome, Miranda. We're excited to have you on the podcast as a guest today. How has your week been? My week's been pretty busy so far, but hopefully by the end of the week, it kind of levels out. But overall, I'm doing pretty well. Good. That's always good to hear. And so since Dance Marathon has moved virtual again for the second year in a row, what kind of changes can we expect to see during the University of Iowa's Dance Marathon's big event this weekend? So during the big event this weekend, it's starting at 7 p.m. on Friday until 7 a.m. the next day. And by doing that, there's going to be increments of different Zoom links that participants are encouraged to join. And that's how they are going to participate and do this big event. They do, however, have options for a hybrid option for people to be in person, but that's a very like limited capacity. And there's a whole like list of specifications that you had to meet in order to be in person. But overall, like since they have, they did do this last year, they kind of know what to expect at this point. The director, Anna Dodge, said that it was a relatively smooth switch. Yeah. And alongside that kind of smooth transition that executive director Dodge explained to you, what were some of the challenges? that Dance Marathon's executive team faced when putting the big event together in this format on such a short period of time since they switched over in January. What was discussed with me was, I guess, the like the biggest issue that they have faced was the capacity that they can have in the IMU building. So they had to meet with UIHC leaders and Division of Student Life leaders, and they sat down and discussed probability of how many people could be in the building at once at a safe level. And they determined that number to be about 100 people in all of the rented space that they have at the Iowa Memorial Union. But overall, that was the biggest challenge that they've discussed with me. Yeah, capacity limits are something that look like they're going to be here to stay with COVID. And so how has Dance Marathon adjusted other events during the year because of the pandemic? Has there been a lot of shuffling or is this the one example that they've had to deal with this year? They were, as far as I am aware, and what we've discussed was they were running with everything being in person. That was what they were doing. A lot of their like prior fundraising they've done this year has been in-person events. They were running with the idea that this big event was going to be in person and that's how they advertised it. And unfortunately, they did have to look at online because of the Omnicoin 
COVID-19 cert. Yeah, and what kind of stuff will you be covering this weekend considering it is virtual and the events have kind of altered in some aspects to be safer and to maintain the online availability for the dancers? That's a good question. So as far as like covering the actual event, me and another reporter, Emily, will be hopping on occasionally throughout the day on different Zoom links that they have on their website just to check in and see like how the dancers are doing and what they're doing during that event. Um, we also have set up a time as to meet with the director again as the event is going on just to see what how she thinks the event is going and how it's running. And then finally, like the big reveal at the end where they reveal their final total, um, we will be watching virtually. Yeah, well, our listeners will have to watch out for that because it'll be coming out regularly with updates. And then finally, at the end of Saturday evening on the Daily Island's website. But thank you so much for being on the podcast today, Miranda, and sharing your story and your future story with us. We can't wait to have you back sometime this semester. Yeah, thanks for having me. Now we have news reporter Ryan Hansen who wrote a story this week about increased inflation and the impact it will have on Iowa City. Welcome, Ryan. We're excited to have you back on the podcast this spring. How has your week been? Uh, my week's been pretty good. It's been, as Miranda said, very busy, but you know, certainly hoping to get, get to the weekend. Yeah, definitely getting back into the swing of things this semester. And so tell us a little bit about what's going on with inflation and with this story. Inflation last year rose across the board. So there are three key measures. Consumer price index rose 7%. PCE, which is the personal consumption expenditure uh, price index, rose 5.8%. And the employment cost index rose about 4%. Lots of rising percentages there. And so how will students, whether that be at the University of Iowa or in a more generalized sense, be impacted by these increases in this change within inflation? Yeah, so I spoke with Ann Villamil. She's an economics professor at the University of Iowa, and she was hesitant to say whether or not students would be broadly impacted in terms of tuition and in terms of costs from the university reflected back on them. She did say that across the board, there will be broad impacts on the purchasing power for everyone. So as this inflation has gone up, you know, the purchasing power of, of a particular dollar has certainly gone down. And so for students, they might see price increases in downtown Target, for example, or local bars and local restaurants. Yeah, and you kind of started answering this with their last question, but how will the greater Iowa City community feel the impacts of the rise in inflation alongside students who are seeing some changes economically? Yeah, Villamil said that it sort of depends on the business that you're in, but the cost of labor and finding workers, I think as we've all seen as the cost of labor has gone up and it's been a lot more difficult to find workers. And so on the supply side, a lot of costs are going to go up for businesses. That just sort of compounds with other problems we've seen within the economy for businesses, such as supply chain problems, where certain products have been unavailable or hard to obtain over the course of the COVID pandemic. Yeah. And what is going to be done about rising inflation? Is it just going to continue to rise or are there some intervention strategies that whether it be local or the national government are looking at right now? So on a national level, the Federal Reserve uh, has a lot of control over what could happen to interest rates. So on a national level, the Federal Reserve has a lot of control over what happens with 
inflation. And what they are planning on doing, they've announced, is they're going to raise interest rates, which is going to result in inflation sort of slowing down and stopping. The inflation we saw last year, those numbers I mentioned earlier, are some of the highest we've seen in four decades. And so what the Fed is really trying to do is limit the increase in inflation and figure out a solution that doesn't tank the economy, but sort of finds a balance between keeping the economy stimulated despite COVID-19 and other aspects such as supply chain and limiting the vast rising inflation. Yeah, well, thank you so much for being on the podcast today, Ryan, and talking to us a little bit about inflation and how it impacts our communities. We can't wait to have you back sometime to share another story. Thank you so much for having me. Finally, we have news reporter Arabia Parkey here to discuss her story on how Zoom bombing has affected local government leaders and professors online during the pandemic. Welcome, Arabia. We are so excited to have you on the podcast to chat about your story today. How has your week been? My week has been pretty good, and I hope it just keeps getting better. Thank you so much for having me. That's a good mindset to have in the middle of the week. Could you explain to us just a little bit about what Zoom bombing is and why it is a big issue this year and in subsequent years? Yeah, so Zoom bombing is when individuals or groups of people hack into or simply log on to Zoom meetings and they interrupt the meeting with like vulgar language, racist outbursts, and they even might draw on PowerPoints or make inappropriate comments in the chat. These instances have been increasing and have been happening, especially in like legislative meetings or government meetings. So it's been definitely frustrating to some legislators when their meetings are getting interrupted by racist outbursts. Yeah, that's pretty understandable when it comes to, to important meetings for local government and such. And so who exactly did you speak with and interview for this story? So I spoke with multiple Iowa legislators, including Representative Akeo Abdul-Samad, Chair of the Iowa Democratic Black Caucus, Al Womble, as well as Representative Phyllis Thede. And locally in the Iowa City area, I spoke to Ty Coleman, who is a part of Production Services of Iowa City. Yeah. And so what kind of reactions did your plethora of different sources have with their experiences of Zoom bombing? What did that kind of look like and how did they feel about being Zoom bombed? Yeah. So one of the reactions that stood out the most to me, of course, they were all pretty frustrated with these Zoom bombing incidents. But one of the reactions that stood out the most was Representative Akeo Abdul-Samad, who said he took these reactions or these outbursts as a teaching moment. He took these Zoom bombing incidents as teaching moments because the attendees of the meetings that have been Zoom bombed oftentimes hadn't experienced racism firsthand like this. So this was an opportunity for them to see how these Black legislators are being treated by racist citizens. So I'm definitely taking that as a moment to teach the attendees and pretty much just take it in stride and continue the work that needs to be done for the community. And so what are some of the solutions that your sources talked about to Zoom bombing and how have people tried to solve this issue as the pandemic has gone on and Zoom has continued to be a way to facilitate public discussion? Ty Coleman recommended utilizing webinar mode in Zoom to prevent these instances because webinar mode makes it so that attendees are view only. So they are only able to comment in the Zoom if they are unmuted by the host of the meeting. This still enables them to comment in the chat as well as participate in polls and Q&As within the meeting. So it doesn't really stop that area, 
but it still allows participation for attendees who aren't there to Zoom bomb. And it makes it easier for the host to still prevent racist outbursts, as well as the preventions that Al Wamble said that they are taking in the Iowa Democratic Black Caucus meetings are making the meetings have passwords and you have to register for the meetings prior to the meetings, as well as they are beginning to have local law enforcement attend these meetings incognito. So the attendees won't know that they are there, but if there are cases of Zoom bombing, they are there to take note of that and pretty much prevent that faster instead of having to get the recording after the meeting and react to it later. Yeah, so lots of different helpful solutions. Well, thank you so much for taking on such an important story and sharing it with us today. We can't wait to to hear some more from you and to read your reporting as the semester goes on. Yeah, thank you so much. And thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. Follow The Daily Iowan on social media and check our website for breaking news updates and the latest campus in Iowa City related news. Tune in next week for another edition of On the Record.